0: What's going on, people? I would like to welcome all of you to another Q on 1 edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And with the Q on 1s, what I like to do is interview people. He's an Emmy Award-winning writer and producer, a lifelong comic book fan, and the creator and host of the Comic Book Central podcast, Where Comic Books Come to Life, currently residing in the Buckeye State of Ohio. Please welcome Mr. Joe Stuber to the Talk to Q radio show. Joe, how's it going?
1: Wow, I want to meet that guy. (laughs) (laughs) He sounds much more interesting than I (laughs) am. (laughs) How are you, my friend?
0: And I am doing great, and thanks for joining the show. Uh, You know, your podcast, Mm -hmm. Comic Book Central, has been dubbed the world's first podcast devoted exclusively to interviewing people who have brought comic books to the big screen, uh, Broadway, TV, video games, and more. Can you tell us how you got into comic books and what inspired you to do a podcast about them?
1: Yeah, first of all, I dubbed it that, so it was
0: self-dubbed,
1: um, but so far nobody's proven me wrong. I If there's a, if there's empirical evidence of that, that there is another one, or that somebody beat me to it, uh, I'd be happy to, to uh, rectify that, but no, that is self-dubbed, self-proclaimed. Um, no, it's, well, I think, okay, so what's the origin story? So for comic books, man, it goes uh, way back to when I was a kid. It's interesting, one of the... Most recent episode. One of the recent episodes I did was uh, with the co-creator of the Electric Company. So I don't know if you remember that show. I mean, I'm going back. Definitely a definitely So Now, okay, we're okay. We're this is a safe space. We're we're old. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm a I'm a 70s. Um, baby. Okay, so you know the Electric Company. So Paul Dooley, who was uh, Wimpy and Popeye, people, and he was in Sixteen Candles and like a million other things. But uh, he co-created the Electric Company. So we talked a little bit about that. And I also uh, recently interviewed the uh, actor who portrayed Spider-Man on the Electric Company, Danny Seagren. But though one of my earliest memories was, first of all, learning you know to read from the Electric Company and Sesame Street and, and a bunch of different things. But also on on Electric Company, if you remember they had Spidey super stories, obviously Spider-Man and there was a Marvel yes. comic tied in with that Spidey super stories. It ran forever, but um, you know, Morgan Freeman was <laughs> easy, it, it, easy to read. It's a, you know, for me to read. So I remember that distinctly Superman, Spider-Man were my favorite characters. And then there was this really cool combination of these characters coming to life at that time. And so man, when Spider-Man was in live action On the electric company that was mind-blowing to me and then in syndication i caught um you know the batman 66 tv series the uh the spider-man uh animated series and things like that so i'd get home from school and there was this this block of cartoons of these characters coming to life and you didn't have to wait a week it was every day so it was just sort of force-feeding my brain all these things were coming to life they were in the comic books i was reading them i was learning and it was just and then the Mego action figures—you probably remember those at the time. Um, I had the whole series. I had the Spider-Mobile. I had the Batcave, and all these different things. So everything yeah. just sort of <laughs> wrapped around comic book characters, superheroes. Uh, you know, I just couldn't get enough of it, and that just was in my DNA. And then all bets were off when Christopher Reeve, uh, you know, took off from the Fortress of Solitude, did that bang. Oh yes right at the camera you know and seeing am talking about so um exactly yeah once that happened all bets were off and it was like so c- comic books coming to life has always been there um to the love of it and then cut to now when like you know we can all sit in our living rooms our basements and have a podcast and talk to people uh like we're doing now uh oh, man it just uh you know just all, all, all came together
0: And you're right. We did kind of grow up in that time where comic books came to life, so to speak. So um, I can definitely share in your fascination with that. And now you've interviewed quite a few big names in the comic book industry. Um, Todd McFarlane, um, the creator of Spawn and co-creator of Venom. You've interviewed um, anyone associated with pop culture and comics. Billy D. Williams, uh, William William Shatner, (laughs) uh, Lou Ferrigno, Julie Newmar, Aaron Gray, uh Kelly Hugh Joe Morton is a favorite of mine uh Jim Starlin the guy that created Thanos I mean so you've interviewed a ton of people but first things first the very first show that you do your very first podcast episode you land the legendary Stan Lee how in the world did yeah. you pull off getting an interview with the godfather of
1: comics I, I have no idea no that was just uh uh look It's uh, people ask me you know, all the time. And it's, uh, you know, first of all, you ask, right? Because if you don't ask, the answer is no. <laughs> so That's true. It, it, it starts there. I think you just have to, to ask. I mean, if you, just a little backstory, part of the genesis of comic book central was a much, a much bigger idea, a much bigger landscape. Uh, I sort of wanted to take it to like a television network level so the idea was and it's funny now we look at streaming services like disney plus and dc universe and it's like Uh uh, you know go back to the early 2000s i was chatting about you know those types of things and they're really you know they had a food network they had you know weather channel they had all these different things but there was nothing specifically for comic books so that's sort of where the genesis of the idea came from. Um, But, you know, unless you know somebody that's willing to drop 20, 30 million bucks to start a network, it's a a challenge to say the least. However, um, I did reach out to people at the time uh, just with these ideas for original programming and and a lot of content and things I, you know, wanted to do. Uh, And uh, Stan Lee was one of the, was one of the ones I reached out to. Interesting story. (laughs) When you're, Putting these things together, you're putting these pitches together. You try to get marketing materials together. So you know you have your elevator pitch. You've got you know all these different things you want to do. You you know your branding and different things like that. And so I would mm-hmm. send these things out with the idea of you know imagine you know almost like a what if comic book. You know what if this happened, right? <laughs> um, and so I got, one of the coolest things ever was I got a cease and desist from Stanley. <laughs> way back in the oh day. wow. Yeah right. So like you you know you can't use it. And I said no no no. This isn't even real yet. This is just a you know an imagination. So I called just to say hey you know this isn't you know you know no no offense or anything like that. And had a, and uh, you know his his uh, his assistant put Stan on the phone. <laughs> so I was actually having a conversation, and he oh, was the wow. nicest guy in the world. And he's like no no no. I get this. And I you know people have talked to me about these types of things. Anyway. So when I launched the podcast years and years later, um, didn't find that person, that man or woman with $20 million burning a hole in their pocket. Um, but I was doing another podcast at the time, contributing to another podcast called The IndieCast, and lining up all these celebrity interviews and comic book creators. It's a comic book, Indiana Jones comic book segment. And uh, my wife, who is infinitely more brilliant than I am, said, you know, well, you're doing all this work for one podcast. What, you know, why don't you have your own podcast? <laughs> over here. Right. And it's kind of one of those things where something might be staring you in the face, but you're just not seeing it. Um, right. So I launched the podcast and reached out to some of these folks. And at the time, Stan had said, you know, back in the day, he said, hey, if there's anything I can do to help you out, let me know. I'd be happy to, to, you know, once you get it going. So once the podcast went, I took him up on his offer and he wasn't doing any interviews at the time, but he said, uh, you know, I'll, I'll grant you one. So that did indeed open a few doors it's nice to say that you got Stanley lee as a guest um but after that you you know you got to come up with it you got to come up with the goods right so people aren't going to listen so hopefully uh you know things took off pretty quickly and just started getting guests and you know people ask all the time about podcasting and it's like you know don't first of all know what you want to do right
0: exactly have
1: a voice know what you want to say have an interest, have something you're passionate in, or you're going to, you know, lag off on it. And then make sure you got enough content to put it out there. And so that was what I did. So, you know, I had Stanley, I had, you know, a lot of those earlier interviews and just had a bunch of uh, things lined up before I even launched it. Uh, and then it just took off from there. And then that led to, you know, hosting panels, hosting Q and A's at, at live events and comic cons and things like that. So I'll use that for content. Um, so yeah, it just, um, yeah, just took off, but yeah, stand the man. That's a that's a nice first get. I I will I will admit to that. That is that's uh, you, probably one of one of those moments. <laughs> yeah, I know that's one of those moments where you like in in the moment, and that's the weird thing too. And you've done this long enough, and you know, like when you're talking to somebody, at some point you got to turn you know fanboy off and turn oh, yeah. podcast host on or radio host on, right? You know, so there's that. So that's always been interesting too, because sometimes you get these folks on, and you're like, I can't believe I'm talking to so and so, and then at the same time you go, Oh wait a minute, I have to talk to so and so, so I don't sound like a (laughs) sound like an idiot.
0: Oh man, that is yeah. You got instant credibility though right out the gate with Stan. Just for future reference, if you need an extra twenty, thirty million dollars or whatever, you got my number.
1: So uh, (laughs) (laughs)
0: why didn't I know you at the time? You You got
1: that on you, right? so much easier. I just <laughs> have
0: to look between the cushions of my sofa. It's good to be <laughs> I haven't personally um, bought a comic book in probably 10 years. Uh, I still have a ton of them put away. Um, I have an, an Iron Man number one that's not in the greatest condition, but it's still an Iron Man number one. I have an Amazing Spider Man 252 when Spidey debuts the Venom costume, uh, Uncanny X Men 137 The Death of Phoenix. So, those are some of the ones that stick out to me. I'm sure you have a pretty good collection. Is there a certain one that you possess that you value the most? Um,
1: yeah, I do have a bunch. And, you know, finding room for it is always a challenge. That's what we're doing now. Like while we're in quarantine, it's like time to reorganize things. So you yeah. kind of go back through and then you realize, how did I get this much stuff? Why did I get this much stuff right <laughs> so we're kind of going through these things uh, probably the ones that have that I mean I guess like the most meaning or the most like the most value I don't like really have major league collect- I'm probably like you you know I've got I've got some key uh, issues and you know a lot of them are dinged up and things sometimes you just get them just to get just to have the issue right uh, but nothing like crazy valuable but to me Here's a, and here's the weird thing, and, and it, it's a story. First of all, a lot of the folks I interview always tell me about their comic collections and how their mom threw them out back in the day. Right? Uh, so that's always like a knife yeah. to the heart because that that's just painful. I my mom did not throw my comic books out, but I did sell them at one point. So I w- it was it was bad on myself. I did that. So you know, you reach 16 years old and you're like, okay, you know, girls aren't going to like nerds with comic books. It was a different world back then. Right. Um, Absolutely. so I, at one point, uh, when I was 16, I did sell all my comics. Got a pretty good uh, deal for them and, you know, went out and, uh, you know, bought a few things, but, uh, I did keep a few of them. So some of those ones that I kept mean a lot to me. Uh, I kept the star Wars ones, the Marvel star Wars run initial ones. So I love those, uh, because they are from my original collection, like I said, I also do, I also contribute to another podcast for Indiana Jones. I kept all those Indiana Jones comic books, again, the Marvel Run, so those meant a lot to me, especially since I you know flipped that into a comic book segment years later where you know we review them and mm-hmm. talk to the the creators the the people that worked on them. Um, so those ones that I actually have from my original collection I love those mean the most to me um, that 's the most nostalgia. I will say my favorite comic book of all time is one that was part of the collection that I sold. So I, I feel bad about that, but I did go back and recapture it years later. It's the, uh, the you remember the uh, treasury sized comics, those big giant things that you can yes. never fit anywhere, but they, okay. So the Marvel, <laughs> tra- big in the seventies, um, that, that crossover, it wasn't the first Marvel DC crossover. I think that was wizard of Oz, but certainly the first superhero Marvel DC crossover was Superman and Spider-Man, Superman versus Spider-Man. Um, Oh, I remember taking okay. that comic everywhere. That was like a security blanket for me. I remember taking that to school. I just like I carried it around so much that it was like ripped up and thing. You know, I like, mean, and so that to me is one of the greatest comic. Just because it's giant, right? It's like a big giant, bigger than your couch comic book, and the, you know the, the <laughs> artwork and and it's the two greatest superheroes ever and how can they fight but they do fight and then they team up and it's just and it's in that era where comics are great um so for sheer just what's my favorite comic book of all time that one easily uh the ones that have the most meaning to me the ones from the original collection the one you know the ones i kind of hung on to
0: i know at one time i had that particular comic i don't know if i still have it cuz that's the the giant yeah. cover with the I think they're like on the Eiffel Tower or some big building. And they're fighting. Uh,
1: yeah, and and just at the time, I knew like these are two different companies, and they're two different. Like the Marvel universe was real and gritty in New York, and and and, and you know DC was kind of like out there, and none of the cities exi- You know, Gotham and Metropolis they didn't exist, and these you know these characters were like godlike beings with powers beyond anything, and you know the Marvel guys were you know, street level heroes. So you knew just from a, a vibe that these companies were different, that they could come together and make a comic book. And it was like, how did that happen? Even at the time I, as a kid, I remember, how does this even happen? You know, and, and if Marvel and DC can come together, can't, can't everything come together? <laughs>
0: you right. You just, I know, right. It was a happier so. time. <laughs> and you, you mentioned um, comic books being thrown out and that, brought up something painful to me. I have a brother who's five years oh, older no. <laughs> and um, he had a lot of his comic books thrown out by our mom when he was younger. Aww. I mean, and he, you know, grew up in the, in the sixties. So I'm pretty sure he had some great ones that um, never saw why lot
1: do again that though. Show. Did you ever, did your mom ever say like why she did it? it was it like, they didn't have room for them or like, just ask, like, a, I'm like, sure it was probably. A, or was she mad at him punish, one day?
0: To yeah, like it's it probably a punishment <laughs> thing. I think it was probably a punishment thing. And then you know, you're thinking as a a parent, just a silly, you know, children's book that's only cost twelve cents, fifteen cents, or whatever it was back then. Uh, so it's not that big of a deal. Having no idea that she could have thrown away thousands. I mean, <laughs> Uh, That just brought back some painful memories. I remember him telling me about that. I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry. I know. I know. Look, part of Comic Book Central is this. Comic Book Central on many levels, too, is therapeutic. So sometimes people, you know, I put them on the couch. Sometimes we talk about, like, really serious issues. Sometimes we talk about painful things like comic books being thrown away. So, again, it's a safe place. You know, it's all good. We're here to get you through it. And you can collect them all again. You can go back on eBay and, like,
0: uh, uh, it's true. Lou. A lot more pricier than the fifteen cent price tag <laughs> well, from back then. You
1: got that twenty so, million, right? You got that you got that on you. You got that in your category.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so let's
0: talk movies. And um I want to start with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Captain America Hulk Thor, etc. It's a billion dollar franchise. Uh, what is your impression of Marvel, Marvel and how they've turned the Avengers into a billion dollar franchise?
1: yeah a billion a pop too,' cause they're like like almost all of them make a billion right yeah it's crazy um yeah that was i i love i don't I don't think there's a dud in the bunch, is there are you talking? you're talking about just the movies, right the feature films like since Iron Man till now yeah, that, yeah. like the you know, what, universe. yeah yeah, like that ten year I don't think there's a dud in the bunch, is there?
0: Um, I didn't like Hulk all that much, but outside of Hulk,
1: I I think all of them okay. are great. That, but that was sort of a Sony thing and it, it that was sort of like its own animal though, right? Wasn't it like they had yeah, it was it was part of that, but it was like yeah like Sony had something to do with it. I if I'm remembering right, or maybe it was I don't think it was Fox. Um it wasn't it's sort of like they, they brought Hulk into the fold with them after that, and then they're like, "We'll take care of you." Almost like Spider-Man and, yeah. and, and Sony, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But I kind look at that like the from Iron Man, even the Hulk movies. I don't know why, uh, you know. I don't know why people get. I love the Ang Lee Hulk. I think that was, I think that was so crazy. Like it, just visually, it was crazy. And then I watched some of the making of uh, things on it, and I, I don't know if you know this, but Ang Lee is the director he uh, motion capped the Hulk. Like they captured his performance mm-hmm. in, you know, like when he's smashing the tanks and like that. So I thought that was, that was pretty bold, uh, a move of the director on, you know, just sort of like, I, this is the performance I want and I'm going to make sure I get it. Um, yeah. There's some really crazy scenes in that. There's some really odd scenes, you know, the Hulk, you know, his look is a little different, Um what was the next one? The Incredible Hulk, I think. Uh, were they, well, there was a lot of good moments in that one too. It's just, I, I enjoy them. Yeah, but I'm, you know what? I'm probably an easy audience for this stuff. <laughs> I I may not be the most critical eye on these. I really enjoy them. And, and when they brought him, you know, with Ruffalo into the fold, uh, you know, I, th- I just thought that went next level. But to me, when I saw Iron Man, is that was the roll of the dice, right? That was, you know, you had had some things going into that point. X-Men, obviously, it had, had some, uh, you know, some legs and, and Spider-Man. And it was interesting because, well, I don't know if you know the backstory, but back in the day, Marvel, all they cared about was making comics. They really, I talked to Stan about this, um, his, he said his publisher, all they cared about was making comics. He didn't care about the animation he did. They didn't care about. So they farmed a lot of these licenses out to, you know, TV. So you saw those 70s and 80s tv shows hulk was a good one
0: Uh, but you know they were
1: hit a lot um so a lot of these companies had these had these licenses and then they so marvel couldn't make feature films for a while with some of these characters and so they they went around and looked and they said well who do we have we have iron man thor captain america hulk and then you know they were like well wait that's the avengers so they we, everybody kind of looked at them like, yeah, on their own, they're kind of like be you know, maybe C level characters. But man, when that first Iron Man came out, we were all, I, I don't know if you were, do you recall like seeing the trailer for the first time with the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man?
0: I don't recall seeing the trailer. Um, I mean, I did go to the theater okay. to see the movie, but I don't recall the trailer.
1: We, I remember when it first hit, and my wife and I watched it, and we both had goosebumps at the end of it and the, and that made me realize oh they're they got something here something th- this could be something and it just had a really good feeling and man when we saw it it's i put that in the classification of perfect movies so there's like perfect what are perfect movies you know superman obviously with christopher Reeve, the first one uh empire strikes back it's a perfect movie raiders of the lost ark perfect movie is it flawed yes but is it perfect yes so there's <laughs> I could, that's a whole other podcast. I can explain what that means. Um, but Iron Man, perfect film. And boy, what, man, did they just, they rolled the dice and hit big on that one. And then just the fact that they kept everything contained in one universe and that all the stories led into each other and then you stay for credits and then what, it just, the execution was brilliant on all. Absol- that. Absolutely. They, just, I just don't, it's just, I, I just love, I hate that they came to an end. Um, in a sense, I know we've got more coming up, but that that sort of 10-year block with Chris Evans, and, you know, and all that, it's just like, yeah that was pretty special.
0: I think they did a great job of putting all of that together. And, uh, I, I mean, is Iron Man your favorite of the franchise, of the MCU franchise?
1: Of, like, that 10-year block? Um, yeah, uh, probably... But when you watch, uh, was it Thor Ragnarok? Uh-huh. That, that is so bug nuts crazy. And I could watch that on a loop and, because it's so wildly different and yet so part of that universe. Uh, the first Guardians, again, another roll of the dice, these characters that even I wasn't familiar with. And I, and I read comic books. I didn't even know who these things were. And you watch this and that was fantastic. So yeah, probably the first Iron Man. And then, I mean, can you, you know, you're, these are, that's a, it's a tough question because you look at the first Captain America. That's all that, that is so reminiscent of Raiders of the Lost Ark and that era of filmmaking. And then you look at the second Captain America and they brought in the 70s political thriller vibe. They even got Robert Redford in it, you know, just to, to get that imagery. Those those are perfect movies. So, I mean, I'll probably default to the original Iron Man, but like the first two caps and Guardians and Ragnarok, I mean, those are solid. Those are all solid. And then Captain Marvel comes along and you're like, okay, why don't we have more of these all this time? You know? Yeah, I, I, Um,
0: I think that Marvel did a great job of taking characters who weren't mainstream. Um, I mean, you know, I grew up loving Spider-Man, X-Men and the Hulk and and things of that nature. But I didn't really read a lot of Thor or Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel. And they made everyone interesting. (laughs) And and every single, single one of these movies appear to hit. I, I just I have to applaud them for that. It is such a great job, and everything had a theme. Like you said, waiting until the end of the movie to see a secret ending or two, um, looking for Stan Lee's cameo appearance in all of the movies. That was always mm-hmm. fun. And like and DC really got the comics to movie thing going in the eighties. Uh, you know they had Superman, in then the, the early eighties they had Frank Miller's version of Batman. Uh, The Dark Knight, which kind of really set things in motion going into the 90s. Yet they never seem to capitalize on their head start. They've had multiple characters play Batman over the years. The timing of their movies seemed kind of out of whack to me. And it doesn't seem to have the consistency of the Marvel Universe. Um, So what's your opinion of the DC Universe and how they can maybe get things on track to be respected just as much as Marvel in the movie industry?
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head. You you said exactly what the issue is. Your your passion, your gravitation toward the Marvel films, the Marvel movies was because these characters were interesting to you. You I know I was listening to what you were saying and you didn't mention the special effects, you didn't mention, you know, all the stuff blowing up, you didn't mention the cool visuals. You mentioned that the characters were interesting to you. And that's the key. It didn't matter what the characters were. <clears throat> they took these, you know, C- Cz level characters, but they wrote them as real human beings. And I've said this a million times on the show. Anybody who listens to Comic Book Central knows I preach this constantly. If you make me care about the characters, you can take me wherever you want to go. I don't care how crazy it gets or what weird things you do in the movie or TV show. If you make me care about those characters, I'll, I'll go along on the ride with you. And that's what Marvel did was they focus on the story. They focused on making the characters real. They made us care about these characters. If something happened to them, we get upset. Uh, we yell at the screen. We, you know, how dare they do that? You know, once you get, if you're yelling at the screen for whatever reason, and my wife and I do this constantly, so we may need therapy on some level, but we, if I'm yelling at the screen, I'm now invested you've now got me or if, I, but if I'm playing on my phone or if I'm looking at something or reading something, you know, that, then I, I've lost interest. And so when you look at the DC universe, you mentioned about this, it had, it's the, the draw of the Christopher Reeve film. It's Christopher Reeve. It's, it's the acting. It's the, how the characters in it relate. It's Gene Hackman's performance. It's Marlon Brandon's performance. It's the yeah. characters we care about, you know, look a little bit later, and you get some of the things that are a little goofier, and people kind of distance themselves from it. But the other problem with DC is they only did Superman and Batman for so long. It was just all <laughs> Batman movies and Superman movies. It so make why did they take so long making a Wonder Woman film? Why? Because they said that you know a, a female couldn't, a female action led superhero movie wouldn't work. Um, I think wasn't it Joss Whedon that like came up with a script years and years and years ago that was like set in the forties and they were like, Oh, it's never, yeah, it's not, the suits came in and so now it's not going to work in the forties. Well, okay. Braves of Lost Ark was in the 1930s. It worked. It's fine. <laughs> Captain America came out and then it's a movie set in the forties and it worked fine. So it, it they just kept dropping the ball on these characters and look at the, the characters that DC has. And yet they never did anything with them. So, and then all of a sudden they saw Marvel which then had built and earned the right to put the Avengers together because they had established all these characters. Then DC came in and just basically said, "Well, let's just do Justice League." And they're like, "Well, no, you haven't. Other than Superman, Batman, you haven't really established these characters. Oh, let's drop right. Wonder Woman in it. Well, you haven't really established her yet. You know. Well, and then, well, what if we took Dark Knight Returns and mashed that up with the the depth of Superman? Let's take all these great Superman, Batman stories." and mash them all up and roll them up in a ball and put it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that they didn't earn it and that's why those films it just becomes about the visuals and the darkness and you know the violence and all these things and it's just like I, like a man of steel they had me until the end and i just we were like okay this is this is a good movie it's solid and then my wife and I looked at each other and watched him like, if he snaps his neck at the end, I'm out of here. That's not, and then he snaps his neck at the end. So it's like, that's, <laughs> that's not the characters we like. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, and so now they're, I think they're trying to go back and, and do some of that. I, I don't even know what they're doing. Cause now it's like, we're going back to the, yeah, I have the no Snyder idea. cut and I, okay. It just, yeah. Now the TV DC, I, I think is fantastic. Obviously, they have more hours to to devote to it. They've got more episodes and things like that. But I thought what they're doing on The Flash was amazing. Um, Had a chance to talk to a lot of the actors and creatives from that show. And it's just they have so much fun doing that. I think Stargirl is one of the best shows on TV right now. I love – I talked about this with some of the actors on the show as well. The fact that we can't binge it right now, that we can't take it all in at one time and be done with it. I like how it's – being doled out week after week, and there's this mystery that's playing in, and they're bringing in these older characters from the golden age. Like, how do you do that in 2020 and have it make sense? And they did it, and it's just this really cool mystery that's playing out. I, I think TV DC gets it. I don't know that movie DC gets it. I don't know if they will. And they're making another Batman movie. That's fine. I'll watch it. I watch all of them. But yeah. How many Batman movies do we need, right? I have no idea. Make a flash movie. Make a flash movie. Make a Green Lantern movie. That like I like the Green Lantern movie. But just because it didn't do as much as they wanted it to, oh well they, we can't touch it. We can't go into well, yeah, you can. Just do another one. All right? Bring Ryan Reynolds back. Oh yeah, Ryan How Reynolds would love to have question? some more kind of <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That's a long winded answer to your question, but I think Ultimately, if you create characters that we care about, we'll go along for the ride, right? Seems that way.
0: I mean, I know some people who are still mad about Iron Man.
1: With, uh, with which one? Like the first, the first Iron Man, or like the Iron Man, no, like what, Iron Man, like what happened to him in Endgame? What happened to him in Endgame? Oh, okay. Well, he, uh, nobody
0: dies in comics, though, right? That's true. Well,
1: if Bucky can come back, anybody can come back.
0: That's true. That just shows the level of emotions that people so had. They, investing They're in these
1: movies. If they bring the truck of cash up to Robert Downey Jr.'s house, he's going to pick another Iron Man. If they say, here's $100 million bucks, he's going to do another Iron Man.
0: I'm sure that he would.
1: Yeah. And
0: so, so Marvel gave a platform for a black director and black actors to showcase their talents in Black Panther. Um, Thor gave representation to the LGBTQ community with Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie character. Do you think that Stanley's underlying vision when he created comic books was to tap into our moral side, you know, to teach us that despite our differences that we all have a chance to be a hero in someone's
1: eyes? I, well, I think Stan's well, you know Stan initially he he wanted to write the great American novel. He at, initially he was embarrassed by comic book writing. I don't know if you know the story, but he would say like he'd go to parties and they, you know, what do you do and he, "Oh, I'm a writer." He wouldn't tell me he was in comic books. This <laughs> is like back in the day,
0: and then uh-huh. he
1: created, like, er, er, co-created, you know, uh, co-created the Marvel Universe. And then once it became huge, marketing Stan realized, oh, this is this is an, another thing I can tap into. So then he kind of embraced it. But if you remember, like those old uh, Stan soapbox and things like that. I think, P- and people posted this recently too, where he was, you know, he was talking about um, social topics like racism and and, and all those different things in, in in Stanley's soapbox. And in the comic books, you saw that reflected with a lot of the comic books at the time, Luke Cage and Black Panther and Falcon and things like that. Um, so Marvel, like I said, had a different look to it, and they embraced a lot of those things early. Was that his intention? I have no idea. Um, I think it worked out. To where you did see a lot more diversity, but then you know you look at the uh, the DC side of it, and we just lost Denny O'Neill, you know, the late great Denny O'Neill, and he and Neil Adams, the work that they did on Green Arrow, Green Lantern, uh, you know, addressing sure, sure. these issues as well too. So it's not like DC laid back. Uh, there there was a lot of amazing work that's that was being done. Uh, especially back in the 70s, uh, you know, 60s and 70s, a uh, you know, really interesting time. So I don't, you know, I don't know if that was Stan's intent, uh, but he certainly embraced it, and he certainly made uh, made it known that that's what Marvel was going to be about. Um, yeah, but, it, but you see that in in the range of characters that they have. There's so many. It's and that's what I love about the movies is that they've embraced these characters. They didn't just stick with Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men. Uh, that would have been the easy thing to do, right? They're they're embracing these. Uh, who makes a movie out of Ant-Man, right? Like, uh, right. Right. Ever in a million years, if that were DC, she would never make a movie out of Ant-Man. That was such a, a a Z character, and you, know, you brought him up, and it just so yeah. There's just a lot. There's just a lot to work with. But uh, yeah, Marvel in the 70s, man, that was that was a pretty cool vibe.
0: All right, so I'll, I'll wrap things up with this. You know, everyone is now into graphic novels and comic book TV shows, movies and video games, etc. But when I was growing up in the 70s, I didn't have all of those options. I just had the comic book themselves. So now that there are so many ways in which to enjoy comic book characters on many
1: platforms,
0: are the comic book themselves still actually being read by today's youth?
1: That. Is a good question. I, I mean, obviously, readership is way down uh, from what it used to be. Uh, pra- you know, the prices are way up. That's been something I think that's been knocked around. I've I haven't necessarily been in that world for a little while. I, I typically I will get the the main ones, the Superman, Batman, and Spider Man, and things like that. Um, it's it's strange. You kind of wonder if. Now it's going in the reverse. Are are people discovering the comic books because of the movies? Like does somebody go see Iron Man or the Avengers and go, oh, wow, it was an amazing movie. And somebody says, hey, you know, there's a comic book about this. <laughs> like, do they do they right, find right. those? Do they go back and get the trade paperbacks? Uh, you know, I know the comic industry has been hurting for a while. So, I, you know, I don't know. I hope they stay around for a little while. It's... You know, again, I I sort of gravitate maybe toward the older ones. I do have a, a lot of the newer ones, but again, just sort of those main characters. And they do so many crazy different things with them. And it's always like people – it's funny because I'll see things online and people get so upset. Like comic book fans will get so upset about something that they did to Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman or Spider-Man or something, you know. And I'm just like, just give it just give it like a year or two and they'll completely change. They'll completely reboot the character again, <laughs> you know, to, to stoke sales or whatever. But that's the cool thing about these, some of these characters is you've got in, in some cases, 80 years of history. So there's some, there's really something for everybody. So if you don't like some of the newer stuff, go back and find some of the older stuff. Like I, you know, I'm going back and rediscovering some like really, like I just interviewed Ralph Bakshi uh, animation legend Ralph Bakshi, who created a cartoon in the sixties called The Mighty Heroes. They had a comic book about that. They did a com- you know, so I'm going back and like collecting old nineteen sixties <laughs> mighty heroes comics. And they, there's just you've got decades and decades and decades of history of stuff out there. So you know what's the future of the comic industry? I don't know. Do people read them on I I I can't read it on an iPad. Or you know, I can't. I'm old school. I need to I don't know about you, right? I, I need like the tactile. Yeah, and then that smell, you know, like that nineteen seventies and 1980s smell, you know what I'm talking about?
0: Like you open <laughs> up a long
1: box of comics and then that waft of like nineteen seventy-five hits you right in the face. I kinda that's that's my wheelhouse. Um but I you know if I'm doing preps for something or if somebody, you know, if a comic book artist or something like that, I'll look at I'll look at newer stuff. But yeah, it, it's it's hard to tell, but you know, hopefully, hopefully the movies and the TV shows, and now the fact that everything is a comic book character has stoked interest in that, so that they'll never truly go away. Because I think as as, a, as an art form, comic books, I, I think they'll always be around in some format. I mean, I could be wrong, but it's those characters are just those characters live forever, right?
0: Yeah, it appears that way. And, you know, I don't have kids. I have a couple of god kids. And I've taken advantage of every free comic book day they have every May um, to try (laughs) to get them on board. They're now 17 and 13 years old. And I couldn't find a way to transfer my love for comics to them. But, you know, they love the video games and the movies, but don't nearly match the interest that I had in comics um,
1: growing up. Okay, you're on the front line right there. You're on the front line right there. So do they... What do they like so they look at these characters, do they get what their origins are? Do they go, Oh, 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 I get I get what this is? Or are they just totally focused on the movies?
0: I think that they're totally focused on the movies. Don't think they're invested the same the same way. I mean I could be wrong. I haven't had an end up discussion with them about it, but I just kinda see yeah. them on the surface looking at the
1: visuals and um just enjoying the overall cinematic experience. Hey, so when you hand them like a Spider-Man comic or you go a free comic book day and they get the comic book, like what? how do they react?
0: And, well, the younger one at the time, the very first time I took them, I can't remember how old she was. Maybe she was about seven or eight. She was fascinated, of course, by the illustrations and yeah. the, her, her older brother, he – I mean, he he liked the main characters, like a Batman or a Spider-Man, so I think he was more interested in them and not really interested in some of the people he may not have been familiar with. Uh, So it just, I don't know, it it was something to do, but I, I just don't think he is really get into holding the flipping the pages like we do now. Now if it's on an iPad or something like that, maybe it's more well received.
1: Okay, so maybe they'll yeah, you know, so maybe on an iPad they'd read cuz I know there's like uh D- DC does like uh cartoons geared toward kids. To, so you're talking about comics coming to life, you know, I think of like Teen Titans Go and and things like that where Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily, you know, religiously watch these things, but I'll tune into them and they are funny there there are moments you know where you watch these things and they are goofy and they silly and you know they make you know scatological noises and things like that it's like things that kids love so i kind of wonder like are kids digging that stuff and then they go back and go oh well here's a teen titans go comic book or something like that or you know like is that the gateway to it um and does that open the door to like well you know teen titans and then here's you know these versions of it I, i don't know It's interesting. I don't have kids either. I, you know, so I don't have that. If I did, I'd probably just like sit them down and throw comic books at them all the time. (laughs) (laughs) This this is the real stuff back in my day. And then I got and yelled at somebody to get off my lawn, you know, and just like (laughs) back when I was a kid, we learned to read from comic books. So I don't know. I'd probably do that. Yeah. But, uh, or like throw Mego action figures at them or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's it's kind of a I I don't know maybe that's a question for some of your listeners out there too like what you know put the finger on the pulse like are our, our kids digging comics today like what or is it just us old guys that that can't that have to have every issue of something that are just, right you know, right you know you know do we have these issues with our issues you know no, I don't know good question i just
0: uh I, I don't know before um we had specialty comic book stores here when i was growing up you know i just i just wish that some people who may be into comic books now you know they could just know what it was like to walk into a convenience store or a gas station as a kid in the 70s yeah. and seeing the newest issue of whatever it was that you loved yeah. and being able to just throw 35 cents on the counter and get it and I mean go home and that that was your weekend right there. You were reading it from front to back and it was an amazing experience. That was and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world.
1: I'm- yeah, you get on your bike, you ride like you said, you go, you know, you go to the, I think it was a pharmacy, I think one was a newsstand. And yeah, you just you know, you get your quarter or whatever and plunk it down. I remember like rolling it up but you didn't think about collectability back then. <laughs> you rolled up, shove it in your back pocket. Right, right. Right home. You couldn't wait to you know, it, it was uh that that wasn't me. Although I will say you mentioned free comic book day. I do well, obviously we didn't have one this year unfortunately, you know, with the lockdown and everything. But I do recall like I, I go to them every, you know, I like to get free comic books. Who doesn't want free comic books? But I noticed right. it's always packed. It, there's a ton of people and I see little kids there. So, I don't know. I mean maybe maybe there's some good parenting going on out there and there's some, you know, people bringing their kids along learning to love comic books. So, I I do see a lot of it seems packed on those days. I don't know, you know, if during the week, you know, if there's just like, you know, us regular comic book nerds out there, but it it'd be nice to think that there there's another generation that's just gonna be buying these things. I
0: hope so. I really do. And, Joe, well, Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. I, I can talk to you forever, man. Where can people find the Comic Book Central podcast and connect with you on social media?
1: Yeah, it's the uh, – the well, the main hub, the main online layer is comicbookcentral.net. So all the episodes are there. They're in the archive. Uh, over 350 guests uh, have stopped by. So all those chats are out there. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spreaker.com. Um, my goodness, Spotify, iHeartRadio, it's out there. Uh, Twitter is at ComicBookCtrl. Facebook is facebook.com/slash Network. So we're out there as well. I post the episodes there, but yeah, everything's in the archive. There's a ton of stuff out there. So if if you if you dig these actors and writers and producers who bring these things to life, but you know, like I said, we do we do a deep dive. I'll go in and talk about their influences, what got them interested in acting, some early roles. We we go in a bunch of different directions. So it's not just the, the comic book stuff, although that is the hook. We do get into that. Man, um, I do a deep dive on a lot of these episodes. So it, you know, if you want to spend an hour and a half with Mark Hamill, he's out there. <laughs> if you want to find
0: out what tick, <laughs> he's out there. All right. Well, Joe, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to join this... You own one edition of the Coffee Radio Show. I think you do an amazing job over there, and I'm kind of going back and getting caught up on some of the interviews as well. But uh, I wish you much continued success in the future, and uh, maybe we'll stumble across each other at a Comic-Con or something in the future if we ever get rid of this COVID-19 stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to go away at some point. We're going to get back to comic conventions again. I would love to meet up with you there, and uh, continued success on yours as well, my friend.
0: And that's going to do it for this T2Q podcast. Go to TalkToQ.com, and that way you can sign up for the email newsletter and be alerted to new shows as they come out. I'm on Twitter at TalkToQ, and that's Talk, the number two Q. So I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast of T2Q, and I'll see you next time.